Os. How's everybody do Os. How's everybody doing? Uh welcome back to the uh Wazari Ipom podcast. Uh Chris here. Um back again with a guest host. Uh so my normal host uh Pat is of course traveling for work again. So he's a bit out of commission. So I thought I would uh have another guest host with me today. Uh please excuse the the background. I had to move around uh, the room I usually do the podcast with because there was a lot of glare um, in my window. So got the, the, the seltzer maker behind me. It's fine. But, uh, um, but yes, so today I have uh, a guest with me, uh, Hanshi Mark House, uh, who is originally from Wales, but now lives in Northern Scotland. Um, and he is an eighth Dan Hanshi um, in the uh, inter, uh, the Kyokushin Budokai organization. So his official title, I believe, is a special advisor to the president of the Kyokushin Budokai all around fighting section and exam committee. Um, it's just a small and then he's one, also it? the. Mm -hmm. It's just such a little title. What is it? <laughs> just just very short <laughs> um and then he's also the founder of the jigoku dojo and chokushin budokai goshindo so um thanks a lot mark for joining me today um it's wonderful to have you and and to meet uh in you know at least on video uh we've been friends on facebook for quite a while mm -hmm. uh, i believe through todd reeves who was on uh the show a couple episodes ago. So thanks a lot. Yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Cool, so, great. Ask away. Um, so yeah, <laughs> all right. So I thought we would talk a little. <laughs> I thought we would uh, talk a little bit about your martial arts background. So can you tell me how did you get started? How did you? Yeah. You know, what age were you when you started? So. Um... I suppose, really, uh, you'll notice um, one of the good things is as part of my work, I'm also a trained counsellor as part of my, my work work. So sometimes mm -hmm. these are really good tools you can turn on yourself. So my upbringing, I had a very violent father, um, uh, very handy. He would, you know, very often, there's nothing worse than getting woken up with somebody punching you in the face. There are better ways. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but nothing works, um, I don't think. And, and you'll see this when I start to speak about my martial arts history, how I start to move from a particular kind of very traditional thing, as each step seems to take me into a more superficially from the outside aggressive, but for myself, more pragmatic point of view for martial arts. Because at the same time, it's not like he was some skinny or heavy guy who was a bully. You know, he was... He was in the Royal Navy and he was um, all services. That's Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, middleweight boxing champion, Mediterranean for the Mediterranean area, wow. when there were tons of mm -hmm. guys there, you know, at that time. So he could handle himself. It's not like he, he, he was um, uh, he was a bit of a uh, kind of a bully guy. He just genuinely struggled with having men, uh, young men in the family. He got on, never laid a hand on my sister. It was just young men he had the problem with. You know, that's not my problem. That's his problem. So when I was mm -hmm. in school, um, this would have been about 1972, and I was living in a place called Pembroke Dock in Wales, or if you want it in Welsh, it's Dock Penfro, 
<laughs> so, okay. and we went to a very old school and we're talking Harry Potter style because it was called Coronation School and we're talking Queen Victoria <laughs> Coronation we're not talking a little <laughs> Queen Victoria it was gothic you know so um, and when I was there we got introduced to a new chemistry teacher um, and I believe his name is in the front we'll be speaking about the books later and his name was Alan Owen and he became the mm -hmm. kind of segregate father that I always wanted. And he used to tell us about how during the 60s, he would train with like Anoida, Kanasaki Anoida in Shotokan wow. Karate. Mm -hmm. So this is at the very beginning mm -hmm. of karate getting its foothold in Europe at the very, very beginning. And so Anoida, mm -hmm. um, along with like the likes in Wairoro Tatsu Suzuki, would do tours of universities. And so um, he would sometimes come in, he had books on martial arts. I mean, like these were very difficult to get hold of. Um, there were only two yeah, magazines. You, at the I wonder time. if they're still around now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There were only yeah. two magazines, which was the American Black Belt, which was rarer than rocking mm -hmm. horse shit. I mean, really, you could never get hold of that. <laughs> and there was one by a guy called Paul Compton called Karate and Oriental Arts, which came out every second month. So there were six a year, you know. So it was very difficult oh, wow. to get your hands on stuff. And, uh, uh, and, but anyway, a few months before Bruce Lee died, a martial arts club started up in a place called Pembroke, which is quite close to Pembroke Dock, obviously. And mm -hmm. um, it was a Wadaroo club. So I started to learn Wadaroo. Um, and I stuck with that. And in 82, I started in 1973. And I didn't want to do my showdown. I loved being a brown belt and kicking ass. <laughs> I just wanted those kind of punches, I, black belt. I do not share that, that that passion for being a brown belt. I want to be a black belt as soon as possible. I am sick of being a brown well, what belt. Happened yeah. is, with your work, I ended up in the Shetland Islands. And the Shetland okay. Islands are the furthest north islands in the UK. There's nothing above them. You know, they're the furthest north you can get. Wow. And at that time, a oil refinery is being built called Solomvo. And it was Europe's biggest industrial um, workplace. So much was going on there uh, because it was all about oil, you know, bringing oil in, uh, LPG and stuff like this. And a few of us mm -hmm. got together and started a club at the local sports center that BP had built as part of the housing for the workers. So we mm -hmm. started a little kind of generic, um, there was some Shotokan guys, a Gojo guy, myself as a Wado guy. Uh, there was a Shotokan club yeah. in Lurwick which is the capital of Shetland. And I used to nip okay. down and, and train. So I had to change from Pinankata to Hiankata. So I had to learn the Shotokan equivalents <laughs> of the Wada ones I, I had. Um, but sure. it was in the school. Now, I don't know what it's like in America, but, when it, but here during the summer holidays, October holidays, Christmas holidays, when a school shuts, everything shuts. You don't get access to any facilities. So if you have a karate club you're having in a school, and the summer holidays come along, your club stops, you know? Now I was oh, really wow. into okay. doing kumite stuff and some of the local lads said uh -huh. to me, would you mind if we got a hall and would you come down and teach us how to fight? So this would have been 1981. And at this time I was getting into full contact karate, you know, the PKA stuff. So I was going like, yeah, I want yeah, to yeah, yeah. do this, I want to try this. And I'm thinking I'm freed of a syllabus. 
I'm, I'm free of a syllabus. I can just spar yeah. now. We can try all sorts of stuff and, and just have a play with it and all the rest. And it was glorious. I mean, there was blood everywhere, broken noses, you know, you know, people going on. Do you think we should have a gum shield? We're all going, what's a gum shield? <laughs> <laughs> looking like, looking like, you know, never like, heard of it. <laughs> you, don't get you mean you're, we're not supposed to knock our teeth out? <laughs> somebody's tough. Somebody's tough. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and then what happened is when the school started up again, the Shotokan Club started up, they said to me, um, would you start a separate club? We don't want to go back to the Shotokan, right? So I said, Okay, mm -hmm. and we, we toyed around with ideas, and we decided to call it the Shetland Martial Arts Club, which was smack, which we thought was hysterically funny. <laughs> <laughs> so we we kind of like that. We kind of on this, you know. Um, and so to facilitate that, I needed to get my show done. I just, I, and now I needed to, because the guy who yeah, was yeah. in the Shotokan Club was a way to get his show done. So um, I, mm -hmm. I went and I got my show done in Wadaru, but to be honest and to be fair, um, I didn't really stick with Wado. I was really interested in the kind of more full contact stuff. And when I'd gone mm -hmm. down to do my showdown, there were guys there from a knockdown squad. It was independent from Kyokushin. It was called Tesioi. Mm -hmm. Tesioi means like powerful school. Tesioiru, powerful school, you know? Okay. And these were like guys who were very fed up with internal politics. Come on, it happens with every. Every organization and every sure, sure. Yeah, the IBK, the Kyokushin Budokai, we'll look at that later. It's yeah. just human bloody nature. It can be a biology department, it can be a primary school, it can be whatever you want. There's always politics round and round about there. So a big bunch of guys have got together and says, look, the Amateur Karate Association, the AKA at that time, was one of the biggest independent organizations in Britain. And basically, what we're doing is we're getting together. And we're having a tear up um, in the dojo, and then we're entering a tear up fight, you know. And then we're going into yeah, yeah. fighting Kyokushin tournaments and other tournaments and clicker tournaments. And would you like to join in? And I was like, yeah, all right. So six <laughs> months later, I entered in my first knockdown competition. Now I'm in Aberdeen now. No, I'm still in Shetland. Uh -huh. I'm in Shetland, so I can't train with the British squad because it's like three flights to get there to get to London. And nobody yeah. told me about leg kicks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because you were only doing like PKA stuff, so above yeah, 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 the yeah, above yeah, the waist above the, kind of the, kickboxing the, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm like that. <laughs> oh, what fun we're going to have! Wallop like that. <laughs> it's it's what you call twelve inches of cold water. It's like you take your men, mate who's drunk, and you drop him in twelve inches of cold water. You know when they get up, they go. <gasps> Like, yeah. <laughs> real low kick and then I started doing the Bambi jump to get away from them <laughs> 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 and then um, I lost in the uh, rightly so I lost I think I, I think I actually managed to tag it on for two rounds and then eventually I mean wow. and fair play the, the, the guy battered me he deserved to win I'm not taking anything away you know and I'm walking out and I'm going like, I really need to stop these kicks going into my legs. And then the London boys are all going, uh -huh. nobody show you how to stop a leg kick. And we go, I went, no, <laughs> didn't know anything about it. <laughs> so we started working on blocking leg kicks. And then obviously body conditioning came in. 
because I have a video of mm -hmm. you here somewhere, uh, old, an old VHS video, where I have the referee laughing. Okay? Because I, I start laying in, I'm blocking the low kicks, I'm keeping tight and all the rest, and this guy just goes shitusky. Sweet, beautiful, the man should have been an artist, and he hit me in the liver. And you know when you get a liver shot, it's a oh. two-stepper. It's a two-stepper. You go one step, two steps, yeah. screw it, and you just drop. You know? So that's what happened. Oh. In the video, you see the referee laughing. Because I'm, I'm bent down going like, mother, oh, God's sake. <laughs> like this. And it's ringing like a bell, and he's going one, yeah. two. And I think round about two, I look up, and I said, I don't know why the Fuck your counting because I ain't getting that. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of lay Just call it, please. I wonder yeah. I get a lease for this place. <laughs> you know? And then we slowly started to build up a little bit more. Um, in the Tessioi, I got to Sandan. And then in 1990, a friend of mine called Ross Frame, who's an extraordinarily good uh, 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 Scottish karate guy, gave me a book called Fighting Karate. And I was like, well, is this fighting karate no, by, um, by Ashihara, Haruki Ashihara? Yeah. And I was reading this and I was going, this is the way of the future. They have gripping, turning, the hikimoshi, hikikizuchi, maki komanage, you know, and I'm going like, oh, this is yeah. really good. So I remember this is pre-internet stuff. You know, you're talking sure. 1990. So yeah. after a few phone calls to various friends down in London, I found a guy that was teaching Ashihara. So... Now I'm in Aberdeen. I've moved from Shetland to Aberdeen. And I mm -hmm. started to fly backwards and forwards out of my own pocket, learning Ashihara. Wow. And then in 1991, I went to Widebeck in Denmark for the, one of the, I think it was the second European Ashihara karate camp. And was just stunned at the level. The Danes, the Swedes, the, you know, the Danes and the Swedes were extraordinarily technical. The Dutch were extraordinarily tough, you know. I mean, the Germans were there. It was it was an amazing, huge, huge camp. Three, four hundred people on it. Um, after doing the camp uh, and training some more, they said to me, do you fancy coming back next year and doing your sandan, the 50-man fight? And I said, mm -hmm. no, because I was already a, a, a sandan. And I said, no, yeah. no, this is too good. I don't. I, I would feel like, a, how about I come back and I do my 40-man fight? You know, sometimes when you look back in hindsight, these things are like, <laughs> it was a good idea at the time. <laughs> It'll be a dog. Oh. You know, I'll have a cigarette in between rounds and smoke a little bit of wine, you know. Like that. My last fight and my 40-man fight was Martin Van Emmen, who at that time was one of the world Thai boxing champions, you know. And just massacred Oh, my, oh my God. My fight. Massacred Oh, my God. <laughs> so I decided... Now, is this is this... Is this uh, like mainline Ashihara or is this like Dave Yonker, like Ico? It's with Dave Yonkers. So at that time, okay. it was, mm -hmm. I think it, it, it was the um, European Ashihara Karate, uh, International Ashihara Karate. Mm -hmm. It then changed to Ico, Ashihara International Karate Organization, which is now massive mm -hmm. under the stewardship of Dave Yonkers, who I am For really sure. uh, honored to be one of his friends. You know, I, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, a, a you really should try and get him on this because he's an absolutely incredible guy, you know. And uh, Mark sure, Mark I, I mean, I would love to. Second in command as well. You know, he's worth getting mm -hmm. on. He's an incredible guy as well. So it, under his stewardship, I think there are three main Ashihara groups now. So you have Nikko, 
um, which is the, mm-hmm. I think the sun is now running it. Ashihara's sun is now running The sun, it. yeah. You have Aiko, which is really big. And then um, Hussein Naka runs um, one that's more around Africa, around that kind of area. And he's done a, a, an absolutely brilliant yeah. job on that as well. So they're all in their own ways pushing forward the whole system, even if they've all kind of kind of slightly, while they've gravitated away, they're still in each yeah. other's orbits. You know what I mean? And always will be sure. the fact mm-hmm. that Ashihara. You know, so in 93, I decided I'll do my 50 man fight. So that's 90 fights in two years, right? Which is it's, it's nothing like the Hunger Man Kumite, you know, but with the Ashihara. But how old, how old were you at the time? I was, th- hang on, that was 93. So I was 36. So I was 36. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. okay? So I was 36 then, yeah. you know, and I. I still had, you know, when you have these sore points still on your body from the one you had before, and you're going like, oh, maybe, maybe nobody will see them. Maybe they'll know. <laughs> so I, 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 I did that, and I got my um, sandan in Ashihara at that point. So in '93, I'm now a sandan. I worked really hard supporting various groups because I really did believe in the system, and in, I think it was '95 I was awarded my yondan. And that's when everything started to pull apart. Um, there, um, okay. I was working closely with David Cook. I don't know if you know David Cook. Yeah, he's it's it's like Shingi something, right? Zushingen. His organization or to- uh, Zushingen okay. is what he does. But he was a very, very, very okay. famous Kyokushin exponent. His power karate books even now are held up as being um, the the kind of bibles of. Uh, Second. Oh, wrong one. These are the power books. There's two of them. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, sorry, that's John Blooming's book. Signed to me, so you're not having it, right? So you can forget it. <laughs> you're not borrowing it. You can sit in your I'll, house. I'll and give you. <laughs> you sit Would you in take chair here? While I watch you and you read it. Bucks. <laughs> you put white gloves on. You don't let me do it. CSI. <laughs> <laughs> so um, John Blooming at this point had joined. Now I was really excited about getting to meet John Blooming because the man is a legend. I mean, the man is just a legend. So we'd all got ready to meet him. And he didn't turn up. And we're like, yeah, what the hell is this? Where is he? He didn't turn up. So he turns up about three hours later. Now he's 60 then. It's maybe 61 at that point. Built looks like John Wayne. You know, he's tall, massive and all the rest of it. So at that point, he lives in De Bilt in Utrecht, near um, in, in Holland. And he got in his car mm-hmm. to drive up to Lake, where we were all, where the summer camp was in Holland. And a lorry driver had pulled in front of his driveway, so he couldn't get out. So he get out, and, and it's a young man. He's like, <laughs> like this. And he goes, hey, you want to move? Because I've got to be somewhere. And the guy's like, yeah, all right, in a minute, granddad. Right? Yeah, 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 pokey, pokey, light the cigarette. You know what I mean? I've got to be careful because <laughs> cigarettes in Britain are fags. <laughs> it's called a fact. Yeah, you can. Yeah. <laughs> and what I was teaching the Maybe for the international office, uh, uh, audience, call it a cigarette, please. <laughs> but when really quickly, slight segue. When I was teaching Atlanta uh, with Josh Morey, one of the instructors had gone out for mm-hmm. a cigarette 
and one of the mums mm -hmm. or one of the people watching had said, oh, have you seen so-and-so? And I said, I think he's nipped out for a fag. A <laughs> 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 uh, what? But he's outside and John Blooming saying to him, hey, listen, dude, shift. Right? So he didn't. So John Blooming showed him so hard. He knocked him out and left one boot upright, you know, like that kind of like in a film. like. <laughs> <laughs> so John's next door neighbor, who hated John, he didn't like John, right, phones the police. And then the police came and lifted John, 60 odd years old, and he's knocked out some young hefty lorry driver who got a bit, <laughs> got a bit lucky with him, you know. So he turns up, <laughs> like, <laughs> just adding to the legend. Um, so in... Uh, just to backtrack slightly, in 1993, mm -hmm. so about 95, backtrack, it does make a little bit of sense. In 1993, mm -hmm. a friend of mine called Colin Whitehead, who was writing for Traditional Karate magazine, um, I'd helped him train up for his sandan in Yamaguchi Gojokai. So I was getting up on ungodly okay. hours. He was in the oil industry. He's very high up in the oil industry. And I was getting up on ungodly times in the morning to work through khaki <laughs> and stuff, you know, and working with him. And he sent me a tape, which blew me away. I looked at this and I said, this is the next big thing. And it was Pancras. Right? Wow. Yeah. And this is before the US. Forget that, right? Now, at that time, yeah. particularly in Britain, I don't think we saw our first UFC tape till about 1995. Wow. We just, they just didn't come to this country, yeah. you know. So and when two years like, later, right? Yeah. Really expensive. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, give us some money that we're all chipping in to watch it. To get to it. So I watched this and I remember thinking, this is the future. You know, the showcase strikes and all the rest of it. So um, mm -hmm. I started doing a lot of groundwork. We got in a very informal club together and we developed it. So when I met uh, John Bloomy, my groundwork from wrestling, you know, from doing that kind of catch wrestling and stuff like that um, was, was decent. It was okay. It was not great. Not as good as his, obviously, because he was a high-level judoka. Sure. So he started to use me as his uke for things, you know. And I think one time, I think his record was five. He put me unconscious, I think, five times in one session. You know what I mean? That's, oh, my God. Not, not one those, you know, not one of those ones that you kind of doze off in the bus and you go like, help! <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. Like, you know, but there was a couple of snorers in there. You know what I mean? Come on, wake up. Oh <laughs> my God. Thing, talking to some guys, and I just went out, you know. So it was all good fun. Um, so David Cook had seen the all round fighting and just says, Oh my God, this is amazing. You know, this is the, this is the future. Um, so I started to help David Cook with the Zushin Gen. In fact, True story, his Zushin Gen, the name actually comes from me. Not in any really? kind, of, I'm not trying to grandulize myself, at all, <laughs> but I had a book of Chinese calligraphy, and the, in it was the Zushin Gen. And we liked using it at my club doing the, the ground fighting stuff because it actually means to see with the body's eye. Yeah. You know, when you're on the ground, you very often. Yeah, I can, I can see it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you're on the ground, you very often can't see what they're doing, but you're feeling what they're doing. So we would mm -hmm. we would often just turn around in my club and just go like a little bit of Zushin again there. You know, in fact, we would encourage each other to, to, to roll with our eyes shut. 
So you, you learned a bit of awareness. So there's this kind of stuff. So this would have been about mm -hmm. 74, 75. David Cook had come over to learn a bit more of the ground fighting with myself. And I'd shown him it. And he really liked it. He liked the whole idea of it and decided to run as a system with it, you know, to, to start his own system up. And then mm -hmm. there was a massive, I can't remember what it was, 96, 97, something like, something like that, 96, I think. There was a massive bust up. So there was a bust up where um, David Cook decided he wanted to go his own way. Um, Dave Yonkers was quite happy to keep going. Uh, and anyway, this massive bust up happened. And long story short, John Blooming just said to me, uh, do you want to come with me? And I was like, yeah. No questions asked. <laughs> no, it wasn't even a moment's doubt. It wasn't. You know, it was one of those ones where do you want to come with me? Yeah. <laughs> just like straight in. There was no full stop. I just went straight in with my yeah. And um, that was it. I just stayed with him the, the whole time. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the the Kyokushin Budokai, the all-round fighting system, is like the early kind of MMA with the gi on. Uh, one of the things I like mm -hmm. about it, and you don't see my knuckle here, you can see it's all broken, stuck up. So um, <laughs> at one time I had five nightclubs and I had like 25 men working for me. And Scottish nightclubs mm -hmm. can be, you know, when the whiskey flows, they can be a little bit loud and a little bit uh, risque. And yeah, little just bit slightly aggressive. Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> slightly the, the Scottish are known to be very quiet, I think, right? Is that <laughs> yeah, the... Yeah. <laughs> you have to They're very the well-reserved people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving the prayer book when you sit down for your drink. You know, it's all that. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I've been getting in like a, I like lots of fights with guys. I don't want to get into fights with guys. I would rather talk my way out of it and make them laugh, you know. But very often, probably every weekend, you'd have at least four to six fights with guys, you know, trying to get them out of a nightclub and, you know, bigger guys, short guys, aggressive guys, uh, guys on cocaine. They were the worst, you know, mm -hmm. which is why when um, ecstasy kicked in, it was like no trouble. Everybody loved everybody. <laughs> like, you need to leave, mate. Yeah, okay. Do you want to touch my shoulder again? All right, no problem. <laughs> so, did you ever get to link up with like Jeff Jeff Thompson if you were in that world? No, I, I during I, that I, time I or much, yeah. Uh, watch my back in that, and any doorman, even if they don't do martial arts, just reads mm -hmm. it, and you just you'll just see them nodding as they go along. Yeah, you need you need at least two of you, one to watch your back and, and stuff like this so as mm -hmm. i started to age as well because you can't take aging out mm -hmm. of this um and again because of the drive the the, the 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 initial big bang which was the violence from my father i'm increasingly shifting into more effective martial arts from wadaru into knockdown from knockdown into ashihara from ashihara into pancras and pancras into all-round mm -hmm. fighting you see what i mean you know and um in yeah yeah Sorry. Sorry, I thought you said something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just said yes. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in conversation with um, uh, John Blooming, I've been speaking. We were telling funny stories about like fighting in nightclubs and stuff like this, you know. Uh, and I just said, I think one of the things we we should develop within the Kyokushu Budokai, so it is a Goshen section. And he went like, Yeah, of course mm -hmm. there should be. Because, see, the, the, so I just teach the pure Goshen. Now, all my students do not do any sports fighting at all. It's, it's all Goshen fighting. Okay. So, and uh, one of the problems you have, particularly when you get involved in a stress situation in a fight, you have a go-to technique. 
So a boxer, if somebody leaps mm-hmm. in front, if they'll jab and cross. A judo guy maybe try and grab. A wrestling guy maybe try and clinch. You have a go-to technique for these things. So if you're doing self-defense, your go-to should be like an eye jab or a throat punch or a groin kick or a knee kick, you know, something like this. But you can only have these if you repetition, repetition, repetition. And it's the only thing you know. Yep. You know, hence the reason we have what looks like riot squad suits, you know, with all the stuff <laughs> in, and we call this pressure testing, you know, and then so um, so I have a little um, saying as part of the Goshen. So I say simple techniques done with mindful repetition and tested in a variety of stress situations is the key to Goshen. Okay, so mm. for example, I, I love that. Like that, yeah, my pet that, hate a thing called Frankenstein uh, chokes. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. No Frankenstein chokes. What's up? Yeah, you're gonna get up and they're gonna like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never seen anybody but Frankenstein choke like that. And just really looking at stuff like men in particular dominate by moving somebody through space. So if I want to dominate you, I'm arguing with you at the door or something. I'll grab you by the lapel push my hand up here and drive you backwards, you know, or I'll pull you into mm. or I'll push you to the left or push you to the right. You know, I, I will dominate you by moving your body through space. So if you cannot do your techniques while you're being moved through space, which is your variety of stress situations, right, then your self-defense and your Goshen is useless, right? This brings me back to when I was teaching at a Kyokushin Kan course. Um, my friend Terry Burkett was there. Mm. And... I said to them with absolute honesty, when did we stop being dangerous? If you have two, you have a set of twins in front of you, okay? And you have to fight one of them. And one of them says, I do karate. And you go, okay, what do you do? I do MMA. You go, karate boy, get your jacket off. <laughs> We're fighting. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, it's totally true. Yeah. I mean, because... So how? I mean, even even as I've been doing martial arts for like 25 years, 26 years, I guess. And never have I like, thankfully, I've never had to like use it seriously on the street or anything like that. But even within within training, right, there's has been no what do you do in this situation? If you are under attack, if you are not like if you're under stress, if you're in a compromising position, how do you get out of that? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've, I, since I was a little kid, I I've had in my head of like, Oh, how would I get out of this, um, you know, situation, but I've never tested it. Right. And, and that's not something, you know, I guess it's no, no, through no fault of my teachers no, either, because maybe not. that's no, not something they, they were taught either, but, to me, it's always been since I was a little kid, even doing like Taekwondo, which is, it, you know, ha- people have their own opinions on it, right? But it's, it's, to me, it's always been about self defense and what I have to do. If I'm, you know, putting in, in a situation where I have to defend myself or my friends or whatever, whether that's like, comes from trying like wanting to be I started martial arts because I wanted to be a Power Ranger when I was four. So, uh, and whether that thinking comes from, you know, that that part of my life still is like irrelevant. But yeah, I, I even in Kyokushin, right? We're supposed to be the the strongest style, and sure, we are in terms of 
the power and, and I guess tournament rules, but in reality, like, uh, I don't know how many of our top fighters, whether it's in any organization, right, would be able to have the knowledge to, to, to defend themselves on the street, like against a, a non Kyokushin person, right? A non martial artist that just wants to, to hurt you. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, um, and, and I, that has always kind of bothered me. So that's why I, I wanted to talk to you. And I, I, I love your, your sort of philosophy of what you just said. There's a double blow with karate guys. So I have this joke character. Right? Um, uh, what I'm mm -hmm. say, I, I say to them about saying about how can we become dangerous again? I don't mean dangerous to some mm -hmm. random guy walking down the street, but someone goes, um, oh, I'm going to punch that Chris in the face, you know, and someone says, you do know that he does uh, uh, Kyokushin and they go like, no, I do now. And then they back away. <laughs> what kind of danger? You know where it's, you know, it, 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 that kind of stuff. Um, don't eat, like, don't even engage. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, I think that has, engage, but in, certainly good. in my life has been the, the, a deterrent, I think, whether people have said, oh, Chris does karate, like, and that sort of solves the, the problem right there. People choose to disengage to both of our advantages, right? Whether it proves that I don't have to be violent, it don't have to engage in stuff, but like, if something goes wrong and I get hurt, like that doesn't, it doesn't uh, yeah. prove oh, well to, well, to well, karate, the name of karate, right? Yeah. We'll have an investigation yeah. about that in a minute when I explain something to you. Mm. So when a, a, when a guy, so testosterone is a, is a thing um, called dominance eminence theory. Have you ever heard of dominance eminence theory? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Me and no. you in the army. Okay. We both become captains. Mm -hmm. You take our blood. Our testosterone levels are through the ceiling with all the serotonin and dopamine that it drops on us as well. We get in a fight, you crack me and I go down, your T levels are through the roof, mine are, are, are bottomed out. Bottomed out. I am miserable, I'm depressed, and all the rest of it. And so when I'm speaking to this group, I'm saying, listen, what you don't want is to get into an altercation with some fat, pizza-eating, sandal and sock-wearing, PS5, guy who throws a blindingly stupid hook that you just go what the fuck as it spins towards your head hits you you hit the ground right and then you suddenly think i said i said to one of the guys how many thousands of euro foreigners thousands of euro sure. right, did you spend to get, your, <laughs> to get your knee down how many thousands how will you feel a as a as, as a man being beaten as we explained with the testosterone thing, but then also mm -hmm. your whole eminence thing is gone as well. It's a double whammy for us karate types. It's a double whammy if we lose mm -hmm. a fight to somebody who clearly shouldn't even be on the same pavement as us, the same sidewalk as us, clearly. And yet, and I can remember a time I was working on a door um, in, the, in Union Street, the main street in Aberdeen, and one of my lads comes up and goes, you need to get up here, there's a guy across the road and who, who I, I recognize him from karate. He was a Shotokan third dan. He was a sensei, Shotokan sensei. And he got into an mm -hmm. altercation and he was on the floor. The guy just ran in, headbutted him, and then punched him in the face. 
and the guy dropped like a bag of tatties, like a bag of potatoes. He just dropped straight to the ground. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, the guy's giving him swift little boots. So I came out and I crossed the road because I knew the guy. The guy's name. Oh, I yeah, haven't yeah. said his name. I'm not going to say it because it's not fair on the guy. <laughs> Don't say his name. <laughs> John. Okay? We'll call him John. <laughs> so I went across the road to this John. And um, I said to the guy, okay, you've had your fun. You've won the fight. Now piss off. You know? But by now, obviously, he's hyped because he's dropped somebody and he's all aggressive. And this guy was massively overweight. And he didn't have much going for him. You know? But I managed to persuade the guy mm -hmm. down to calm him down. And I picked uh, John up and took him back to the nightclub and tended to him. And he was absolutely destroyed. That's, this is where it came from, the, my first realization of this. He was destroyed. He said, I've been training karate, he says, for 27 years. And he said he just threw some haymaker, and I didn't even have a block for it. It just hit me full on the jaw after he headbutted. He headbutted me, I went back, I looked up, and I go, what the, he says, in shock. He says, and I saw this haymaker come in my way, and it just poof, hit me here. And I, he says, I went down, he says, I just curled up and he was kicking me. And I was just remember saying, look, dude, it happens to the best of us. We all get clipped by one we don't see. It happens to all of us. I've been, sure. I've been in the nightclub. We had a big fight outside my, uh, the next nightclub up, which we supported, obviously, because if we get a big ruck going on, yeah, house, yeah. they'll come down and help us. And so there was a, an alleyway, you know, it was often known for somewhat, um, uh, can you see? I've got a... Oh, no. Okay, we're back. Are you with me? Okay. <laughs> All right, we're back. <laughs> cut around this. I'll start again so you can cut it in, you know? Sure. So there was a nightclub up there that we supported, and obviously they supported us. But there was an alleyway in between the two. And so one of the glass collector girls comes down and goes like, it is kicking off just up the road. They're going to need your help. So I walked out. Next thing I know, I'm looking up at her on from the ground. And I was going, what the heck just happened then? What, what, what happened then? And it turns out there was somebody in the alleyway. And as I walked past, it just punched me full in the face. I didn't even see Oof. them. And I just clattered straight down to the ground. I just clattered. So we all take one. We all get hit and we all take one. Mm -hmm. It's just a question of like, yeah, dirty. <laughs> Never to this day found out who it was. He just turned in the alleyway and ran up the road. But um, yeah, I just remember suddenly being on the ground, looking at the ground and going like, you know, I don't know if you've ever been knocked out. You know that moment where you can't quite figure out, am I still in bed? Am I dreaming this? What, yeah. was, what the hell? Just, it was one of those. So on your karate one you mentioned earlier about having fights, very often people say to me about an eye jab, they just call it, mm, that's a bit off like jabbing in the eye. You can blind. Very, very rare you'll ever blind somebody. But here's the thing. Yeah. If you come at me and then you eye jab me quickly, and I obviously as soon as you hit, there's an autonomic response where I turn away. I instantly turn away. I don't have to think, oh, I better turn away now. Someone stuck his fingers in the eyes. I just turn. I can't control it. I just turn. Mm -hmm. I do this and I just turn. How many punches to my face or head would you have had to do to elicit that same response? Too many. <laughs> Too many. We have a thing called hockey punching. Try this in your club. Basically, grab uh -huh. the guy's gi with one hand and just start wailing on him with the other. It's called hockey punching. We do it in our club. You know, uh -huh. very common in street fights. They'll suddenly grab you and just start wailing on you with a single hand. You know, 
and you see it in hockey matches all the time you know so we call it hockey punching mm -hmm. and just give that a just give that a try if i can block up on it and just go boom and hit you straight back in the eyes you let go you move away within a maximum of five maybe ten minutes your eyes are fine again might be a bit bloodshot but they'll be fine no harm no permanent thing and by 10 minutes i am on my bus eating me fish and chips <laughs> yeah that that's true i mean yeah that, so i mean it, and i think i think that's what like people don't realize or think about right that i think street fights are different than than what we do in, in class or they tend to be different from what we do in class or um in tournaments right the street fights like it, it's you're basically fighting for your life right so there's no rules you can you can eye gouge you can you can groin strike like it's whatever works right to to get away um and that's that's something i've i've only sort of within the last couple of years have have um come to understand that there's no you don't have to be a gentleman fighter if you are in a situation like that like you know do you want some really good advice sure that, that kaicho john blooming gave me really please whack him first yeah yeah don't play the marcus of queensbury <laughs> whack him uh, first. no no he karate no karate ni sente nashi for uh, john for kaicho right now and laugh at that one even the okinawans roll around laughing at that one it's like what? <laughs> you know, if some guy so where are we differentiating between intimidation and physical intimidation Okay, mm. so if I suddenly appear in your face and I say something random like, what did you just say about me? And you go, I didn't say anything, mate. And I'm going like, ah, you did. And you go, oh, I don't want trouble. And I go, oh, you've got it. At that point, whack them. Because they're a way to whack you. That's, yeah. Look at any of the videos yeah. <laughs> online. The guy that gets the punch in first, the first decent punch in, normally wins the fight. You have silly ones where a guy's taking wow. his jacket off and the guy just goes... And the guy goes <laughs> straight down to the ground. Yep. Oh, he's instantly, <laughs> instantly backing away from the fight. I'm not saying that attack people for random reasons, but if you have no, no, but yeah, verbally remove yourself from the situation and bodily remove yourself, and you think, nah, this is gonna, he's way to kick off. Just punch him, or knee him in the balls, or <laughs> gouge him in the eye, or something, and then just walk around him and carry on with your day. You know, it's not gonna. It's yeah. not going to break cheekbones and reconstructive surgery on the jaw and stuff, you know. In fact, I've taken so many yeah. hits to the head over the years. I'm now blind in this eye. I've really? had six operations on this eye. Um, there is nothing that will wake you up first thing in the morning like an injection straight into the eyeball. No, no thank you. <laughs> and regardless of what drops they put in and the shite that comes out of their mouth, like you might feel a slight scratch on your eyeball. No, no, no. You feel that needle going straight into your eyeball. And the problem is it's a closed system. So when they squeeze like this, it feels like it's exploding out of your head because it's filling it full of whatever he's putting Oof. in it or what she's putting in it at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I took a lot of damage to this side here. And eventually in 2017, my eyes started to play up uh, and they tried their best. I had six operations on it, but um, it's opaque now. So it looks like, a, like a, you know, a, a, in a toilet, you have that kind of opaque glass. Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like. 
um, that's what I look like. I, if I see somebody with a day glow jacket on, I might recognize that somebody day glow. That's about it. But it's just an orange blob, and eventually it'll just go. Wow. It'll just stop. You know, but it is what it is. Yeah. There's no good yeah. crying about it. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, so I there, think so. That, that yeah. yeah. So let's 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 kind of go back to sort of Kyokushin Budokai. Um, yeah in terms of like what what the the organization how the organization sort of came about i know a uh, kaicho blooming left the iko in like the 80s or so, so. how did that come about yeah. is the system okay ibk okay. ibk is the organization so the international budokai can okay. is the organization and kyokushin budokai is the style within the system okay so, yeah so are you asking about how the IDK came about or Kyokushin Budokai? I guess, I guess a little of both actually. So the, yeah. the whether, like the Kyokushin Budokai, I, I guess is Kaicho's own system, right? The his the, yeah. his develop like what his uh, synthesis of techniques were, right? And then, but the organization was that was the Kyokushin Budokai something he was working on when he was still with the IKO yeah. or is that, yeah. did that come about after he left? No, he was, he, he, he was trying to, he always called, he, he had the utmost, I was going to say respect, but that's not right. I mean, he had the, the utmost love for Oyama. I mean, he loved the man. He called mm -hmm. him the old man. He said, oh yeah, the old man did this and the old man did this. He got tons, he had tons of stories about his, his stuff with, uh, uh, with um, Oyama, but, uh, but, um, um, you got to remember, in November in 1965, he was already a sixth man, John Blooming. He's one of the oh, highest in the system. People forget yeah. that. He was also an incredible judoka, incredible at doing judo as well. And he wanted to mm -hmm. marry the two together. That's basically what he wanted to do. He wanted to try and get go to the ground and then, you know, do the arm bars and the locks um, uh, uh, he, um, he told a story one time of, uh, you know, Fujihara he was one of the fighters. He went with yeah. the uh, Kenji, you know, to do the stuff. So they're in a yeah, chain. Thailand, room. right? Pardon? He went, he yeah. was one of the fighters that did Muay Thai, right? That was Kenji. Didn't, in, yeah. In... Uh, he was, he was the only fighter yeah. that lost, but was so impressed when he came back, he started up the, um, uh, uh kickboxing and stuff in Japan. Kickboxing, so yeah. Pioneers mm -hmm. in Japan because he was so impressed by what he saw. Um, I think he got caught with an elbow, a spinning elbow or something like that, and it just sat him down. He did have, uh, I don't know if you've ever read this, but if people if people have any interest in what I'm saying to them, this book. Oh, I have it right here. I have it, it on my bookshelf of, now. I love that book. Watching, buy this book. This book is incredible. It is. I read it at least once a year. And it tells you the full story. So do I. <laughs> when they went to Thailand, and uh, Kenji ended up damaging his toe. I don't know if you remember, his whole toe became filled with pus and everything. So even kicking was an absolute nightmare for him. Yeah, it's a, it, you read it in there. But um, so Blooming is at the old Hombu, and um, uh, Fujihara is there, and the rest of them. And Bloom is going on about we need to have more all round. Uh, more get judo and stuff like that in and they're all going like, yeah i don't know and he says um uh, bear in mind he's now about 110 115 kilos um because he's been training with don f Drager, you know 
and he, mm-hmm. says, he says, I chopped off Fujiyama, and he tied him up with his belt, like hog tied him up with his belt. <laughs> and he, he says, and I'm swinging him like this, <laughs> laughing. He says, and I look up, and he says, and the old man is looking, Oyama's looking right at him. <laughs> and, goes, and he says, I just hear some, <laughs> he says, he says ah, it wasn't fair. He says, he says, Fujihara is weighing maybe 60 kilos, maybe, and I'm twice his weight, twice his size, much more powerful, he says. And I just jumped on him. That was a story I remember him telling um, myself and Graham Noble, who's a karate historian. If you go online, mm-hmm. you can find this online. There is an absolutely brilliant, um, long, long article written by my friend Graham Noble called Oyama in America. So if you type yeah, in, yeah, I think it was in, published in in uh, one of the magazine. I don't know if it's still around, but it was like, yeah, traditional classical karate or something. It was like That's mostly focused on yeah, Okinawan yeah. styles. But yeah, it was yeah. in there, and I, I I read that like every time it came out. It's it's really yeah. good because he interviews all the like the Japanese wrestlers that were part of it mm-hmm. because. Because it was in the 50s and um, Pearl Harbor was still fresh in everybody's head, they played the, you know, they had names like Tojo. <laughs> the wrestlers were called, you know, the Minister of War, <laughs> they called Tojo. And they were always the baddies, you know, they were always baddies and they would cheat. And then eventually the blonde haired, blue eyed American boy would, through fair play, would beat the, 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 the you know, the, Japanese guy who was cheating called Tojo, you know, to the delight of the audience kind of idea. And Oyama in between time would do kind of like breaking stuff and things like this. Mm-hmm. And um, he gets to speak to all of them. I, and I, I'm not going to say anything more than that, but um, I'd advise you if you can remember or go and have a look. You can actually, if you go into Google and type Oyama in America.pdf, and I think it pings up. You can download it as a free PDF. Okay. You know, so um, I introduced Graham Noble to John Blooming. Um, we went across together so he could interview him for a big article that he was writing at the mm-hmm. time. You know, so but Graham is a really good uh, martial arts historian. He's very good. So when so Blooming was starting to realize that there was stuff in his opinion. Given you have to remember, Blooming fought in the Korean War. He was wounded three times, three times, and when he was wounded, um, he was in a mass unit, and it looked like the Chinese and Koreans, but most of the Chinese, were going to overrun mm-hmm. the mass unit. So they shifted them to Japan, which was very common for R&R in a wrestling recuperation. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they did cultural tours. And it was during one of these cultural tours when uh, John Blooming was injured that he saw judo and he saw this little tiny guy. And he's just going like, I want to be able to do that. That's what I want to be able to do. And that's when he went back to Holland and started working out in Holland. And you can read it all in his book. It's, it's like, it's, it's really good. Sure. Um, but then when he came back and he started looking at different karate systems as well. And and he, remember they all, him and Don F. Drager and, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. It'll come to me in a minute. Um, they all shared the house. They all, they all, they all mm-hmm. had a house they shared, you know. And um, uh, Drager introduced him to um, Oyama. And that's how their friendship and John had nothing but, um, like I said, it was beyond respect and admiration. It was he had a genuine love for Oyama. He just said, you know, if you didn't have money, you didn't have to pay. 
he says, you know, you could work really hard. And, you know, he says, and Kenji was the guy. He was like the hitman of the club. Kenji Gurosaki, he was the hitman yeah. of the club, very much, you know. And then eventually John decided that he wanted to start introducing more and more of this. And I think it was around about, <clears throat> is it, I think it was around the eight, 19, in the 80s. I want to say 1988, mm. but I might be wrong on that. That he, he, he eventually came up with the idea of Kyokushin Budokai. And the other thing people forget about John Blooming is he was really interested in philosophy. I actually have a letter I from Oyama. I actually have a letter from Oyama where Oyama says that John Blooming has shown a lot of interest in uh, like Shinto and Zen and Buddhism and stuff like that while he was in Japan. So I actually have this letter from that I got given. Wow. Know, says about that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, nobody has that either. You How special. <laughs> And um, that's when he started the Kyokushin Budokai. And then, like I said, it, it was probably about seven, eight years later that I met him. And then I started to mm. work with him. So he formed his own organization called the International Budokai Kai. Um, um, when he realized towards the end, towards the end of life, he was smarter than most guys. He realized that his body was starting to go. He had a minor stroke during his sleep. And when he woke up, he couldn't speak, um, which is very common, very common. But what people don't know uh, is that most people who have strokes can swear for some bizarre reason. And he just started to swear and his <laughs> language came back again. Um, he then had another minor stroke. But by this time, he had also had type 2 adult diabetes as well, you know. So um, mm. after the second stroke, um, and he's now in his 80s. I mean, because remember, he was born the 6th of February, 1933. So he came all through the war. He was brought up in a Jewish area. And he couldn't understand wow. why his little Jewish friends did, kept disappearing. You know, oh horror stories he could tell you. Oh, I'm not oh go my God. Format for yeah. it. You know, we can look at that some other point in time. Um, but all this formulated to how he was as a man, you know, and eventually going into mm. Korea and, and eventually going to Japan. Um, uh, so he started the IBK, um, realized he was getting on a little bit, and had had several problems with people with quite big egos who wanted to step into his shoes. Not all, some of them were really great guys, but wanted to stay with their own systems. You know, there were some guys. I know that mm. um, a friend of mine, like Bernard Creighton, he was very good friends with John Blooming, and there was some talk there, and he would have been really quite incredible. But eventually, John decided that he, he settled on kind of three people that he trusted. And that was myself, um, Tancho Eric von Wernberg, and Tom Masden, uh, who does the Krav Maga as well. He does the, uh, I think it's the uh, Worldwide Krav Maga system, which is really good. He's got a couple of books up on it, well worth. Um, uh, and there's a video online. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, so, of course, um, during the course of it, we, he decided that he wanted uh, special advisors and he wanted somebody to run it. Right? That is mm -hmm. not something I really wanted to, to do. How can you, how, you need three of us, you need three of us just to keep the organization together for one man. He was so charismatic. He, he, had, he was a charismatic leader, you know. You, they're so difficult to replace. You know, I'm a bureaucrat compared to him, you know. Uh, and uh, so Cantor Eric has now taken over as the main guy guiding everybody and doing a terrific job, despite having some very bad ill health at the moment, very bad ill health. 
Um, and so he's um, he's working away at that. When we went, he obviously was at the funeral, but then the standard politics. How many IKOs are there now? There's IKO one, IKO two, <laughs> two IKO three, uh, at least IKO three, IKO five, three, three four, yeah, yeah. Kyokushin Kan. Uh, you have all these Royama's one, you know, and you have all these other different yeah. ones. You started with one person who was charismatic, which was Oyama. You know, he was the charismatic mm -hmm. leader, and he was that black hole that kept everything tightly around him. As soon as that disappeared, everything shot off in directions. And we had similar problems. You know, we had people leaving, deciding they were going to go here, here, and here. But we just decided that. So, um, so like, so like for example, I was away in Romania last weekend, <clears throat> but I don't do I don't do it for money. I don't get paid for it. Mm -hmm. It's not about getting paid for it. It's about wow, that's yeah. Doing it for Kaicho. It's about keeping Kaicho's philosophy and system alive and working from there. So we did have wow. the split up and we did have other groups deciding for whatever reason. I'm not saying they're right, I'm not saying they're wrong. They just decided to go their own way. Mm -hmm. It's human nature. You know, they believe perhaps they had a better way or they didn't like us or they didn't like one of us or they didn't like all of us or whatever. They went their own way, sure. started their own IBKs. Um, but we are Kancho's uh, original IBK. We are the core group from cool. the direct link to Kaicho from from there. So, but, sure. Wow. And so, I know you're in charge of the all round fighting section, but or, or you know, special advisor, yeah. however you want to phrase it. But um, so, how do you know if I were to walk into a Kyokushin Budokai Dojo, like what would I be learning? Would I be learning everything? Would I be learning, you know, knock down first and then move into sort of okay, the so MMA kind of stuff? Or you as yeah. an example, right? You come into my dojo to learn mm -hmm. Kyokushin Budokai, right? Your upright's okay. Your upright is fine. You have to watch out on a few mm -hmm. things. Um, you know, if you throw a low kick, like without, if I'm not damaged, if you throw a low kick, you tend to give that shoulder forward. So if you have somebody who can shoot, They'll take that side. So a sankaku, you know, sankaku, mm -hmm. Gary, with the hip is back. It's yeah, yeah. To soften mm -hmm. them up because you can stuff the head as it comes in if they try and grab you or something like that. So it would be minor tweaks on stuff like that. Looking at your transitional work, how are your throws? Have you done the judo before? Have you done any kind of jiu-jitsu or something like that? You know, and then looking at your basic kind of ground positions after that. So <clears throat> it really depends on what level you want to kind of work at. You know, the, the Goshen mm -hmm. section is completely different. But we also have within the IBK a Kyokushin system, pure Kyokushin system. And that's mm. run by Yandi Brun. More than ably, very, very ably, good stewardship on his side. So there is a Kyokushin section and an all round fighting section, which is the Kyokushin Budokan section. So okay. we have two sections married together and held together by our love for Kaicho. So does does say for a say for a white belt right walking in, do they do they get all of that hopefully or do they get depending on what the teacher focuses on, like how how does that how do you get a black belt kind of? Yeah. So the glorious thing about it is, so um, my club is a lot more wrestling than jujitsu. Eric's club, he's a very um, he's a uh, I think he's a nidan or sandan with bearing jujitsu. You know, so he okay. old school jujitsu, you know, a very, very good Brazilian, mm -hmm. very, very good. So his club varies slightly from mine. So you have these. So when you run a, a summer camp, you have these wonderful variations that come in. 
and 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 you know mm -hmm. from, from from what they're doing. But the anticipation would be is to check out your fitness level, find out if you've got any kind of medical stuff we have to know about, and then most like if I'm using my club as an example, everything is on pads. Pretty much everything is on pads, so you get okay. instant feedback. You're always getting feedback. Um, we are heavily on working with shotes because Very. the most common injury. Well, particularly in Scotland, but the most common injury are lateral fractures of the fifth metacarpal, because young men get into mm -hmm. fights, rock, throw a punch, and if you see a punch coming at your head, what's the most common thing you do? Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like this, you hit the top of the head and you break your hand. So, yeah. so yeah, you break your hand. So now all of a sudden you're going like, oh, the guy's boom, boom. <laughs> the guy's like swelling up or something like this. So for myself. We work on the old Okinawan thing. If it's hard, hit it with something soft. If it's soft, hit it with something hard. Very mm -hmm. basic. Rule of That's thumb, it. You know? uh -huh. So we work on shotes from the start. We work on working on shotes from the start, which is one of the things that uh, Kaicho was very good at. He, he, he did like working with his shotes. Any kind of punches to the head, tend to, the, the moshiuchis tend to go thumb down. When they swing in, they come thumb down. So it's the knuckles that hit first. Mm. Yeah, you know when you swing oh, in. Oh, that's the yeah. Yeah, the knuckles. That, yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's in the keyhole, right? We do that in the it, as part of like the the keyhole, right? So that's yeah. that's where that comes from. That's where yeah. I see yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, and you can vary yeah. the length from it. You can keep it close, or you can take it out further. You know, so you can swing it into somebody's mm -hmm. face, and you can do it quite short range and just snap it in, almost like you're racking as you're, as you're going in from uh, taking it, um, working it in from there. Um, this is why, if you look at the old um, bare-knuckle boxers, you see this kind of positioning. So if I'm boxing, mm -hmm. you can see me in the camera now, so imagine I'm boxing you, and I snap a punch out. What's hitting you first? My knuckles. The knuckles, the uruken. If I yeah. do Western boxing with hand wraps, and I punch like this, what's hitting you first? Normally the fingers. The, yeah, the flat, Normally your bottom, you yeah. You really buckle the wrist down. To, to try and then you start losing strength in the wrist, you know, kind of idea. So, um, mm -hmm. depending on what club you go to, there will be a, a learning period where within the month you would learn some upright, your stance, obviously, and things like this. You would learn um, a little bit of transitional work, maybe a very simple throw. We do um, Kubanagi, we do like a neck, you know, a neck throw to teach first off. You know, your schoolboy throw, you know, the mm -hmm. ones you do at school, you grab your mate and get your hip <laughs> over the top. <laughs> the most easiest, commonest, and very effective throw. And the most important thing that, that from, for myself is you need to get feedback where you go, holy crap. So if you, if I teach you to elbow and you hit a pad and you go, whoop, you go like, what the? If you're seeing that it works, this is a positive feedback loop for yourself. You don't tend to get that when you're just hitting midair. You don't get that positive feedback loop. So from the very start, we go... I love that. I love stuff. that. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So teach them the stuff. Simple, right? Works. And this brings up their own self-confidence about what they're doing. You know, so, for mm -hmm. example, the first two gradings in my Goshen system is all, yeah, gouges, eye jabs, kicks to the groin, um, all this kind of stuff in the first couple of gradings. Later gradings are more about underhook drills. You know, we underhook the arm, we have makikomanagis, that mm -hmm. you all kind of come along, uh, preventative stuff. So the greater the violence, 
that's put towards you, the lower the grade you use. The lower the violence mm. towards you, the higher the grade you use. The reason this is important is I try, it's, it's low violence, I try to do like a, a shoulder grab and pull him in to turn him and push him away or something, right? And he suddenly decides he's going to take it up three or four notches. I know I have my previous training to fall back on. So I can just go, boom, and hit him in the eye with my thumb, you know, or hit him with a shoulder mm -hmm. in the ear or something, you know. I, I can't put that stuff in later. And I, I need to have it at the very, very beginning. So whatever I learn after that, I have that to fall back on. Higher the violence, lower the grade. Lower the violence, higher the grade, because you can instantly do this if necessary. Does that make any yep. sense? <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. It, it, I yeah, it's it's a it, definitely a different philosophy, but it does make sense. You know, to I guess yeah, that I love that. <laughs> I love everything about that. <laughs> That's um, but That's yeah, amazing. so um, so talking a little bit about that sort of philosophy, right? Like that structure that. Um, it, I guess throughout your your martial arts career, you, I guess aside from Wado, you've been part of organizations that have been totally, totally or pretty much uh, like disconnected from from Japan or from any Japanese organization. Mm -hmm. So does that? Do you think that that has led to sort of um, more freedom in in thinking in in putting together syllabi um, where you're sort of not tied to any sort of tradition that, you know, maybe Jap Japan based organizations might be. Uh -huh. I think there are two kinds of tradition. There's good tradition and there's, I'm not going to say bad tradition, but I'm going to kind of say stuck in the mud tradition. Okay. So I'm not saying sure. it's bad. I don't think anyone should say it's bad. Mm -hmm. You know, you can always get something. So, um, good tradition where you're joining a club where they want you to express yourself as an individual, they realize your personality is like this, or your character is like this, your body type is like this, you know, so we're going to tailor the system to suit you. You're a gentle person with a short body, so we're going to work towards this. You're a taller, aggressive guy, so we're going to work more towards this. You know, this, you've got to remember in the Okinawan days, you used to be given a kata. You, work, you didn't work your way through. Mm -hmm. The old Okinawan masters will look and go, I have just, I've got the perfect cat for you, Chris. You're going to do it for the next three years, right? But I've got the perfect cat for you. So they had this whole bunch of catters that they could go, hmm, which one shall I give? I'll give him this one, but I'm going to give his mate this one because he's taller and he's got longer reach mm. and he's got whatever else like this. And except nowadays you have this whole thing about kata, 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 you have to do this, you have to do, you know, it has to be done in certain orders and stuff like this. Um, I think having someone like John Blooming who trained in Japan and trained under these very rigorous circumstances, you know, and understood this kind of stuff, but also understands, you know, name one country in Europe or America is only like 200 years old itself, right? That was isolated for 200 years. The Tokugawa era, there were 200 years where they, they had maybe tiny pockets of people on the, on, the, on the shores, but you weren't allowed to go any further. Maybe some Portuguese, you know, and stuff like this, but mm -hmm. there was nobody. The Dutch, the, yeah. You know, 
It wasn't until Perry came along with his big ships and said, you're going to trade with us. And they go, no, we're not. We're going to go, which building do you like the least? Because we're always just shooting. <laughs> we have about seven or eight guns uh, guns on a ship aimed at you right now. So... <laughs> That's it. And, you know, Perry opens it out and then the Meiji era started and, you know, all the rest of it kind of changed. But there still is that kind of culture set in it. You know, um, mm -hmm. just just for an example, people often say to me, why do you go on about the Budo virtues and not the Bushido virtue? Okay, why do mm. you call Budo and not Bushido? Well, the word she just means gentleman or person, you know, kind of idea. Sure, yeah. When I was very young and wanted to devour anything to do with Japan, I made the mistake mm -hmm. of getting this book. The Knights of, Knights of Bushido. Okay. Russell, right? I've never I've never heard of it. Well, basically, it's all about the atrocities they committed using Bushido. Actually quoting Bushido. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. They called themselves the Knights mm -hmm. of Bushidos, and they would like behead people and stuff like this, and then just say, it's our code. This is how we do things. So they took something that... Yeah. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're probably aware of this, but... The original Bushido um, actually didn't really manifest itself until about the early part of the 1900s. Yeah, it Before was, that, I mean, that, that Bushido, the, the, it's written in English, right? And it wasn't codified. It actually came from a guy who yeah. went to America to be a, a diplomat. Hey, I think he's in Missouri or somewhere, like sweated his ass off hated it, went to London and liked the old stiff upper lip on, uh, you know, the kind of codes of chivalry stuff. And when he came back, he mm -hmm. thought, oh, we can use this as a bridge to stabilize between the Tokugawa and the major. We can look at this bridge of behavior that we think should be in. And they, they quantified it up to seven, you know. Uh, and when you look yeah. at them, they make, um, uh, there's a guy called ben Benishi, B-E-N-E-S-H-E, who wrote a uh, doctoral thesis on this. And it's, it, it might uh -huh. be still online. I have a copy of it, and it is like one of the best things you can ever read. And the uh, one of the, the main Tokyo library recently became digital when he was doing his doctoral thesis, you know. And um, mm -hmm. prior to like 1905 or something, when they started bringing this in, there was like five or six pieces on Bushido, and one of them was French, right? Then after that, hundreds of the things. Hundreds and hundreds of them started getting churned out using this the the, the Bushido the warrior code and you know mm. oh, this is what we always did. But up until I then, mean, it's it, a, it was propaganda up to to lead up to World War Two, right? It was. And then, then it became xenophobic. Promoting yeah. at it, it became xenophobic. Mm -hmm. You know, and hey, listen, it's like hey, we're British. It's not like we didn't kind of conquer yeah. the world's most powerful nation ever. I mean, we conquered more of the world than the Romans, but there's never been a bigger empire than the British Empire, right? And it wasn't like we were doing mm -hmm. it for fun and we were giving people sweeties and candy. I mean, we're going in and ripping everything no, out. No, it was... So, <laughs> yeah, this is what happens. It can happen. It can go the wrong way. And that's why I changed it mm -hmm. to Budo, Marshall Way, as opposed to Bushido, and it was simply because of that book. Uh, and I just decided to drop the sheet out wow. of it. You know, so... Um, like mm -hmm. you were saying about the philosophy and everything else that came in, and that's and that's why yeah. why I did that. I just dropped it. Personal personal choice. Cool. So yeah, so and I have your book right, your first book at least right here. Uh, it came out a couple years ago, right? So came out a couple um, years ago, and then oh yeah.
Then the next one, I did two others. I did one because I was bored waiting for my contributors for my third one to come in. Um, so my <laughs> job, I like for many years, I used to work with uh, young people that had um, severe social, emotional and behavioral problems. And I ran what was called mm -hmm. a close support unit. Um, and we'd have things like child rapists, child murderers and stuff like this, you know. And one of the things I really noticed about that is, is what happens is as they start to grow, very often they didn't have a positive male role model, particularly with the young men. They didn't have a positive male role model mm -hmm. at all. So what they do is, and this is natural, they look to their environment, to where are where is somebody who's making a success? Drug dealers, the knife men, the, the men that are uh, terribly yeah. violent. To these guys, they seem like they're, they're making a success of the environment. It's either that or they go to cartoonish characters or what you call almost almost cartoonish characters um, out of moods, mm -hmm. like Tony Montana and out of Scarface and stuff like this. They look at these yeah. guys and they just go like, you know, these guys are making a success of their environment and they've come from nothing like me so I can become like this. So um, the, the, the next book I did was strictly about that. Which is called. Yeah, you can there, right? This is a very complex book, and then I decided yeah. there's so many amazing people out there that have got wonderful stories about you know a, a, you know that people can read and go, oh, this is great, this is fantastic, and all the rest of it. I decided the book three would be a collaborative book. Seemed like a good idea at the time. So what is it? it I'm bored waiting for everybody to give me my give me their stories. <laughs> I have twenty odd stories in now. And just before I came on to chat to you, I was I was online I was I was working them. I've got them stored digitally and I was online. Um some of them are, are not English speakers, so I have to go in and correct a few, you know, I want you the book to bring kind of mm -hmm. grammar, you know, but there's some incredible stories. So I've got them from Japan, America, Canada, Germany, Denmark, Sweden. I've got them from all over. I have them from all over. So I have a lot of really good stories that were going in. And I never make any money off these books because I stick them through at such a stupid price. It's more about trying to get the message out there, you know, that there is a... Mm -hmm. uh, you'll notice yourself there is um there's been a drop in religious behavior you know christianity has dropped right out sure. you know there's <laughs> been a complete drop but of course they did many things wrong in the inquisition you know the fact that they would dominate people the fact that they would um send you know if a, a, a woman had a child out of wedlock you know all that kind of stuff we all understand that yeah but it did have a code of moral conduct right so mm -hmm. where are we now getting that code of moral conduct from? Guess know. where? <laughs> Courage, I, uh, loyalty, I guess my... honor, respect, honesty, benevolence, rectitude. Who doesn't want a child I or mean, a it... friend that has all these characters, characteristics? And each one of these produces a set of characteristics. So while I'm giving you the virtue, to, and, and the virtues come in two ways externalizing to you so i'm respectful to you and i'm loyal to you as a friend of just using those two right mm -hmm. but you need to internalize them are you respectful to yourself are you loyal to yourself or do you just go oh well yeah, i'll let them get away with it i'll let them call me that name no 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 you don't 
You don't. No. That's where your courage comes in. So trying to develop a huge philosophy to give somebody is too difficult. It's too difficult. But seven things, seven things, that's seven. not difficult. And each one of them is good. Each one of them is great. Who doesn't want yeah. a friend who's loyal and respectful and courageous, honorable, honest, is benevolent towards you? No, that's the that's the ideal attention. that's the ideal friend. That's the ideal person, that's right? Ideal like, so, and you can mm. teach this stuff in your class. You can start with the children. You can mm -hmm. you can discuss it and talk with it and get them to input into it themselves and get them to talk, which is what I'm increasingly I'm doing with within my my club. I'm increasingly doing that and the children I work yeah. with. And that and that sticks with children, I think, too, because I talked about this for people that are watching or listening. I talked a little bit about this in my episode with my friend Ben in Australia. But, um, you know, when I was doing Taekwondo, we had like a, a creed and part of it was courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control and an indomitable spirit. Right. And I'm going to be 32 years old and I still remember those tenants and that's some those are the things that I try to live by and you yeah. know that's that it sticks with you and and I think that you know what you're you know talking about now is will certainly stick with you know young young people and even adults too like if they're they need something in in their life or looking for something they can they, they can apply those things you know it's an mm. easy thing. This is not a, 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 a massive book like this or a discourse of things you have to remember. This is seven little things mm -hmm. that will seven. make a positive change mm -hmm. to your life and a positive change to everybody you interact with. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. It's not hard to do. You, you, well, it can be on some kinds, but you shift this, you know, so let's just say I, I wanted to do something and I wasn't very respectful to somebody, right? So if you're meditating mm -hmm. front and back of the day, you bookend front and back of the day. I mentioned this in my book about front, uh, meditation mm -hmm. front and back, you know? And so at the end of the day, I'm looking at it. And what I'm doing is I'm reflecting on action. I'm reflecting on the action. I should have done that. Oh, oh I'm just so embarrassed. Oh, I should have done that. Next time I go to do it, I want to stop and I reflect in action. So I stop and I reflect mm. in action and I'm not rude or I'm not respectful. I am respectful. Regardless of what's happening, I am respectful. You know, Later, this becomes non-reflective. It just becomes part of my personality. And they just turn around and say, see that guy, Chris, one of the most respectful guys I've ever met. And you're thinking, yeah, but it took work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's, a, it's habitual. You're building habits, right? You're building yeah. seven you How know, complicated good, is good it? habits. Yeah. Seven mm -hmm. ways of presenting yourself to people where they will go, I want that man in my company. I want that man working for me. You know, just mm -hmm. honesty, honor, just the whole lot, just the whole kit and caboodle of, of, the, of the seven virtues. And for me, True. it was a kind of an epiphany because I was looking for something to teach the kids in, in my club, you know. And I'd been mm -hmm. looking for stuff and looking around. And then I went back and I started to look and I just went, oh, my goodness, this is it. It fits in with the Budo lifestyle. It fits into the martial arts lifestyle. Mm -hmm. it, it fits into Western thought quite easily. It's not complicated. I'm not asking them to do some kind of weird Chinese or Japanese trails of thought, which are not culturally, I don't culturally quite understand. It's none of that kind of stuff. Sure. It's, it's 
simple things that everybody wants. Everybody wants in a friend. You want to be seen as that. Oh, he's this courageous, respectful, loyal guy. You just go. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, so that's the reason so, behind uh, the book. You know, so that was it. Good. Really, you know. So, and where where can they get where where can viewers or listeners get get those books from Amazon. you? They're all on Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Yeah, Amazon has the whole range of so them. If... Number four will be coming out hopefully in the next couple of weeks, and then I'm mm -hmm. redoing the small book you had. And the idea behind that book was you mm -hmm. can stuff it in your pocket and it's easy to read. It's not complicated. It's very simple to read. But my next book after that is I'm expanding on everything in it. So it'll be a bit of a bigger book, you know, um, a little bit more. So mm -hmm. um, I'm calling it, my working title at the moment is The Buddha Self. Okay. Ooh, <laughs> fancy. The Path Lived. <laughs> the path lived. Mm. <laughs> That's the working title. It'll well, probably be something completely different. <laughs> great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Oh, so looking forward to that. Um, so I just, I, we're at about an hour and 20 minutes now. So I think uh, we should uh, call it quits soon. But um, I just want to thank you very much for, for coming on the show. And, um, you know, I definitely learned a lot uh, from our conversation. And, and I think, um, you know, you gave me some things to think about. And I think you definitely would will have um given like the listeners a lot to think about um in terms of you know just philosophy karate kyokushin in general um so i thank you so much again for for doing this it's been a genuine pleasure and i just hope that people enjoy it and 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 if even if you manage to touch a couple of people that's more than most people ever do in a lifetime and i know your stuff does it reaches for sure people, so you know, yeah. You, you also, also, you should always, you should also be aware of the good that you're doing with this stuff as well. It's good stuff you're doing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. All right. Well, everybody, Enough. thank you for listening. Okay. Us. <laughs> us, us, us. Okay.